this evening is Chrissy Newman. She's an award-winning PR professional by day and a podcast host by night. She's the co-host of Alt Pop Repeat, a podcast that explores the connection between counterculture and pop culture. Additionally, Chrissy also hosts the podcast Rebelliously Curious. She's also a partner and director of media and PR for The Debrief. Now, without further ado, let's get down to business. And joining me right now is Chrissy Newton. What's going on? Not much. Good to see you, Michael. Good as well. I can't really see you, but well, good, good to, to see you. you. Yes, good to hear you. And my goodness, we have a lot to discuss, as we always do when anyone's on this program. And Chrissy, just right off the bat, let, let's talk about you and tell us a little bit about yourself as we sort of go down the line here. Yeah, for sure. I own a public relations agency called Vocab Communications for the past going on 15 years now that works in both Canada and, well, North America, so Canada and the U.S. And I have worked in other countries like the UK as well, but mainly predominantly we're in North America. Uh, I'm also a podcaster and then I am the media relations specialist for The Debrief, which I know a lot of people and your listeners might be familiar with. We're a news outlet that focuses on UAPs from an academic sense, but also science, technology and defense. So yeah, I'm glad to be here and glad to be chatting with you. Clockwise, I'm glad you're here. It's always a honor and pleasure to talk to anyone like yourself. And of course, the debrief, that's D, the debrief.org, that uh, publication. And I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners out there are quite familiar with it, especially with all the uh, news stories that um, have been coming from the website. Oh, man. Our breaking news story. I think it's been did you, at least three weeks now. Did you yeah. know that was going to happen? I did a couple of days before. You knew uh, it was going to get this big. Well, I didn't know it was going to get this big, but I had a feeling I knew about the story before it dropped just because I'm obviously work within the outlet and we all work together as a team. It's a small team, but a mighty team. And I had an idea of, of what was going to happen, but, and we had a feeling it was going to be bigger than the 2017 New York times story potentially, but we didn't realize how big it was, it was going to be. And there was also some different reporting than ours compared to what news nation was reporting or what we were reporting. But you know, collectively with Ross and News Nation and Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal with us, yeah, it, it made some yeah, it made some waves. And I think to date we have more impressions and more people reading it or eyes on it than the 2017 New York Times article. So it's it's pretty unbelievable. It's pretty wild. You know, I had no yeah. idea that uh, you guys would get this much attention from it or from anywhere. I mean, this story blew up and it was national news. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And also just a publication. We're only two and a half years old going on three. So we're we're not we're new. That's amazing, you know, by the way. Old. Yeah, we're we're not old, but we're still new. We're we're growing too. But it's unbelievable. And it's un unbelievable that to date still mainstream media hasn't cut us up as an outlet. They've maybe have looked at Grosh Grush and his mm -hmm. comments and his um, and what he's saying has happened allegedly and like we haven't seen obviously the documents and hope hopefully we do, but yeah, it's been it's been pretty interesting and, and it's been more positive. I'll say positive and balanced. That's how we consider it in the PR world. Yeah, it's been positive and balanced for the debrief. So I think the hope is that if more stories come out like this, we would love to report on them. But I think we've opened up more of a gateway and an opening for mainstream media to potentially start looking at whistleblower stories uh, you know, very closely and actually taking them seriously. And Chrissy, how did you get involved with the the debrief? With the debrief? Oh my gosh. So about two and a half years ago, I saw this, 
uh, well, it's, it's past 2017, and, I, and I've loved UFOs since I was a little girl. So I've always just been following it. I've gone to conventions with my dad. Uh, usually the UFO Congress will go to. Uh, and we would just talk about it all the time. So as I was getting older, I, was, I, made a, I made a point in my life to be like, I need to know exactly who these people are. Mm. Like I was, wanted to be more curious, and I wanted to dive deeper into the counterculture. So as stories were breaking from 2017 and going on, I was talking to people within the UFO community in Toronto and then later on, you know, within the States. But I saw this story that was a breaking news stories for the debrief. And I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> like the debrief? I'm like, what news site is this? I've like, I've never heard of this. And I work in public relations. And I, also, I love UFOs. I would think I would know this. I right. actually felt kind of dumb because I was like, how do you not know this, Chrissy? And then I started to look into them and I'm like, oh, it's a new publication. I'm like, okay, no way. So then I added, like a crazy woman, I added like MJ and Tim and Micah to Twitter. I, like I followed them on Twitter. And then I think I added uh, Tim and MJ to Facebook. And MJ accepted, and I believe Tim did too. And I'm not sure if Micah did. I don't even know if I found Micah. But long story short, I added them and Micah was following his stories he, at that, or sorry, I was following MJ and he was the editor in chief at that point in time. And now it's Micah Hanks, but I was looking at it and, and he posted this post saying, Hey, we're looking for writers to contribute to the debrief. So I sent him a DM and said, I'm not a writer. I said, but I do podcast. I have a podcast with a friend. I have another one. And I said, you know, I'd love to contribute into some form of video or potty, uh, audio podcasting with you. And he was like, all right, let's see what you can do. So he's like, send me a test. So I, I created this video and he, they wanted new snippets. So I sent him a new snippet. And to be honest, I don't think they really know this. Well, Mike kind of does, but I didn't know how to edit if my life depended on it. Oh my. So, <laughs> so you kind of winged I didn't it. Know how to, well, I winged it because I, I was like, I can teach myself to do this. Sure. I was like, I worked in media. I've loved this media. Yeah, you'll for figure it out. So long. Right. And I know how to edit audio. I can figure out how to edit video. That's going to be simple. There you go. And how to put all this together. And I understand B-roll and I know how to get B-roll and I can do all of this. This is simple. So one day I like, I think it was during COVID, I locked myself into my closet and I recorded some audio um, over a news story and then found some B-roll and then taught myself how to, to edit, how to properly edit through like beats and, and whatnot, looking at visual audio or visual um, uh, footage. And then I would send it to friends of mine that were editors. And I'm like, do you, do you think this is okay? And they're like, this is actually really good for your first video. And I was like, thanks. So then I sent my test to MJ and MJ was like, this is really great. And like, it was okay. You know, it wasn't amazing, sure. but it was okay. But it got me enough to put me through the door with them. And then we were all in a group chat and it ended up happening that all the writer was there. It was like in a newsroom and I was always contributing because I liked UFOs and we all like UFOs. We all like to talk about it. So I was kind of like the the state one of the staple females in there, and we would chat. And then later on, Tim McMillan asked me because I was always contributing, and you know I'm I'm, a, I'm always on time for stuff. And MJ would say that you always deliver. And later on, they were like, we need someone like you that does communications, and we would love for you to be a partner in the company. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And then I kind of been ever since been friends with them and we've been contributing and working together for two and a half years so. yeah and everything's been going good especially with that latest um article that caught um caught caught um caught a lot of fire i should say i was gonna say like a brush fire <laughs> yeah oh yeah it was like a forest fire yeah, for sure for for grush it was a forest fire. did you guys you know, even get brush fire for us but did, did you for him. did you guys even get like a pat on the back for that at least 
For I, in Did anyone way, say from like who? from from uh, anyone there, like uh, the the main owner, or someone, the the founder? Did anyone say you guys did a great job? Nothing like that at the debrief. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we we actually all own the debrief, so there's six of us in total. Well, we have one that there's we we call us I call us the group of six, but really the the core ownership is five of us. So we all actually work together to release that story. So I think we all group each other. Pat, okay. Yeah, we patted each other on the back. I That's would hope so. Okay, good. I'm glad yeah. there was that sort of uh, morale sort of thing going on. Well, yeah. So, you know, it's hard sometimes because as a group of like five to six people, you don't always agree on everything. Sure. And yeah. we've had our ups and downs in that company for sure. But we do stick together. That's for sure. That's for sure. We've stick together and it's not easy all the time, but. When you really are passionate about journalism or you're passionate about, you know, if it's even public relations for me, and I'm very passionate still about journalism, it all kind of goes hand in hand. You find a commonality and you understand that everybody works really well and they're good at their job individually. That makes things easier. And you also have a core common sense of sure. telling truth and finding transparency and like and reporting on transparency and truth and i think that's the core group of all of us and that's why we why we've worked together so well and for so long i was just going to ask you what are some of the challenges you might have faced being in a uh, investigative journalist basically and how you would sort of overcome these sort of obstacles but it seems like you kind of already answered that but um, well i can slightly. answer it too I, it's funny i call myself like a journalist in training to a degree i call myself generally a conversa an investigative conversationalist because I do a lot of podcasting. Right. But the work that I do do even the podcasting has underroots of investigative journalism for sure. sure. And I'm going in that direction. But I don't always claim myself because I am really a PR practitioner. You know, that's what I've been doing for 15 years. But I understand media and understand journalism. So doing more investigative journalism has happened, you know, in the past two and a half years for me. So I've been in the field doing this stuff along with them podcasting about it or taking what I've learned from the field and brought it to my show but there's challenges for sure i think you know you realize that the world is not the most wonderful place you always thought it would be oh yeah uh, you know and and you see the real the darker sides of people and of topics and i've seen both the really light side of the ufo topic and i've seen the really dark side of the topic and it it's it saddens me on on those sides you also see that a lot of people that you that really respect aren't yeah. always what you thought they would be. Ooh, yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. You know, MJ and Benias, I love him for it. He always you know, he said in our group chat, you know, never meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very true. And so with that, I've seen both sides, but it's also woken me up to be better at my job, realize things I wouldn't do and also find a place that can try to do the, the best I possibly can. And everyone's going to, everyone's going to make mistakes. Right. You know, there's a place for mm -hmm. that. And there's a place to learn and make mistakes and grow and do better. That would be my hope is that I'll, I'll make mistakes. If I haven't made any yet, I'll find out when later on right. in the future if some have been made. And then hopefully just correct it and move forward and, and do better. And then realize that there's some people that don't do that and just don't work with those people. This is why anytime I go to any of these sort of events and I'm recognized or I meet someone, I make sure I'm as nice as can be. Uh, just because of that sort of um, thing, you know, someone gets an idea of how you are and then they meet you and then they go home disappointed. So I always try to be on my uh, Sunday's best. Yeah, it's true. And it's so hard as a publicist when you're in the field doing this because as a personality, you can 
you can like, you can be more relaxed, I find at times, and you can show those sides and you're not directing business per se, unless you're doing a major production on set, right? That's a little bit different, but that's with your core team. Right. It's really challenging as a publicist when you're doing something really large, if it's a conference or anything else in a UFO or any other community, it doesn't have to be UFOs. You sometimes have to play the good guy, bad guy role. Yeah. Sometimes you got to be like uh, Christian Bale and yell at people. Totally. And I always say, I'm, you know, I can't be pizza. You know, I can't, I hear you. Not everyone's, <laughs> right. everyone's I can't make everybody love me. I'm not pizza. Right. So yeah. And it's challenging in that regard because you are trying to do your best. You're trying to do your best for your client. That's what matters most. But then you're also trying to give everybody everything that they need, but then also put a structure around it as well. Right. And so sure. There has to be a give and take. And so some people see the side of you that you have to say no and you have to be strong about it. And they don't like that. And and that's really challenging. And it hurts my heart because they assume that, you know, I'm the the B word or I'm other things when it's like, no, I'm actually not. You spend some time with me and have a drink with me and, and you'll see I'm actually really friendly. But sometimes I have to say no to things or I have to explain why and not be hard, but just be, you know, stern or strong and say yeah. like, no, I, we can't do that. And these are the reasons why we can't and try to explain it. But again, I'm not pizza and I can't win or not everyone's going to like me. And I'm okay with that because I know who I am. So yeah, it's like being a manager somewhere. Right. I mean, I understand that a hundred percent. And before we sort of get into other topics here, I was just going to quickly backtrack and say, you know, you go, you used to go to these uh, conferences with your old man. And I was just curious, did he or you see something in the sky one day? My dad did. Okay, yeah. there, dad, that's where when, it comes from. Yeah, it's it's. He has a really unbelievable story. My dad was, I think, he was eighteen or nineteen, but he was really young, and it was uh, later seventies, early eighties, and he was driving up north, and I think he was going down the four hundred one or one of the other highways, and he was with a group of friends in a car, and they saw a UFO, and they literally started following it, and they pulled over when they saw that. I think the UFO ended up staying still, or some degree they. Because it wasn't moving at the same time. They ended up seeing or they were driving towards it. That might be probably more correct. But then they pulled over. And when they got out of the car, they were all like, okay, like, obviously, like, what is going on? This is unbelievable. So one, somebody flashed their head beams at the UFO. And it flashed back at them. The UFO mm. did. Yeah. So they had some form of communication with it, which is unbelievable. And my dad has told me this story many times, but I forgot about that part of the story till I think last year he was like, we told it. remember that it, yeah, I was like, Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. So he, yeah, I communicated with them. And then what happened is I think the guy, they were going up to a cottage and they had uh, like rifles and I don't know if the guys were hunting. My dad doesn't hunt, but I believe his friends did. And so they had them in the back of the car. And so they took one of the rifles that had a scope on the top of it Ooh. and they pointed it at, yeah, they pointed it at the UFO just to not shoot it, but to look at it through the scope to get a better a better look at it and once it saw that the firearm was like pointed at it it took off down the highway and so they watched this thing move that's creepy and my dad right and then there was it was reported all over the news i think the day before the days after there was ufo reportings everywhere so there was and it was a, you know there was mass sightings to a degree i don't know if it was the same ufo but there was five of them that saw this ufo so my dad was with a core group of people he wasn't alone and then I think what happened later on is 
Oh, I forgot. God, the bigger part is my, my dad took a picture of it. Um, and which is wonderful and he still has it. And I'm always saying to him, get it out of the safe because I want to blow it up, yeah. to be honest, and put it on my on my wall as an art piece. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And he's like, Chrissy, I was like, No, I'm serious. Cause it's still like it's it's not a it's in um what's it called? It's a picture, but it's also in um like an old school frame where you could like just go, uh, what's it called? A negative. A negative, a negative right, too. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I could print it multiple times still, which is even better to be honest than just a picture. So he has that and yeah, he took a photo of it and he showed it to me as a little girl and it just, as I always say, like lit up everything inside of me. And I was like, what is this? And I was so curious and he would talk about UFOs all the time. I would sit at the table. He would talk about it with his friends. I would join in, you know, he would educate me. We'd watch UFO store, like, you know, stories, documentaries. He'd scare the crap out of me, wow. but I would go to bed, but I was like obsessed with it and like, like just in awe of the, the subject and that's kind of where it put us now today talking about it as father and daughter. And then me obviously like working with the debrief and doing a podcast around UFOs and science and technology. I'm sure he's psyched, by the way. He is. Yeah. I always laugh now because when I do certain things, he's always like, wow, like that's his response. That's awesome. Like, Dad, I'm going to go do this. He's like, wow. Like, he's just so amazed. He's so supportive. He is. He's really supportive. There's times, you know, that I think for him, he's like, just be careful. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I am dead. I'm, I'm mindful. But for him, he was just like, don't ever put me on anything. And I was like, I would don't never put do you on anything. That. What do you, what does he mean? Yeah. Like in, for him, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't like, he's a person who doesn't want any popularity. Right. Uh, like I could, I could show the photo and I think he'd have no problem with that. Obviously. He just doesn't want to be on a show or talk no. or anything like that. I get it. Yeah. No, the, for him, the ridicule when he was younger was so bad. I oh think. shit. Okay. From, yeah, from other people, because he he would say to me, you can't talk about this with everyone because they'll think you're crazy. Right. And when right. I was younger, um, you can only really talk about it with certain people. True. Because, yeah, and and it was it was real back then for him. And he still to this day, he talks about it way more freely. Like now I send him articles for the debrief. Like he's on the newsletter, so he reads it himself as well. But, you know, he's open now, way more open to talk about it. But he would never... He's just so modest and, and so private that he would never want to go on a podcast or talk about it. But it, it really, his story is is really unbelievable. And it's like a, a real true, not saying anybody else's is, but it's like a real true kind of contact story. Well, maybe and one day. it's amazing day, when it's your dad. Yeah, maybe one day you could get him to talk. I, you know. Maybe. I, I yeah. My grandmother, I had, I actually recorded when she just turned 100. My grandmother. Oh, man. Unfortunately, was, was in the Holocaust. And uh, I just recorded her life story Oy you know, before she, yeah, before she passed. So at some point, I will sit down with my dad and I will get him on an audio podcast with me, not video. Yeah, I will, uh, maybe I'll record it. And he won't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty funny. For myself, well, I because I actually would want the video of just watching him so I could have it for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, telling That's me nice. that story, yeah. not to broadcast it, but in the it's audio the personal piece, thing, yeah. Right. And like that, that piece with my grandma stayed, stays within our family. Uh, I did that with my Oma so that I could have it so that we could pass it on, pass it down generations to understand from first encounter what it was like for her being in the Holocaust um, and being Jewish. And so, and what that felt like for her and what she went through. Um, We're not going to hear those stories anymore. And we also won't hear older UFO stories too. They're going to change immensely. So having my father talk about that pre-internet and everything else and how it affected him and where he is today uh, is is very interesting as well. And I will one day get him to tell me that story. It's funny how you, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but it's funny how you mentioned these stories ever changing. It's 
kind of like the UFO field in a way. I mean, it's kind of like the telephone game to to uh, certain uh, aspects. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to evolve and change. The telephone game, 100%. It's supposed to be one thing and that ends up being That's what happens, things. right, in this field. Yeah, and a lot of other fields too. True. You know, there yeah. are like That's UFOs true. were a conspiracy theory, but here the it's still I won't say it's a conspiracy theory because it's not because obviously the government's come forward and right. said they're real. But there are core truths to things. And sure. so for us, there's there's the core truth still in UFOs. And, you know, people probably know more. Obviously, they do than what we know. It's just how much do they know and, and what are they doing about it and what technology do they have? But it's there's a lot of other lies surrounding it, right? And the curiosity is hopefully, like, we'll find out later on what those lies were. But I've said this in another podcast. You know, it's like the JFK files. Mm. You know, they haven't released those. And right. They're not going to release those probably for another 30 to 50 years, I bet you. Probably for not, this yeah. Topic, yeah, those classified documents for Grush, you know, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope they're released sooner than later. But we're probably going to be old when those are released. That's the sad part. You know, we don't find out anything for... Right. like 20 40 years after it already happened and that that's the bad part of, of all this because you know they kind of want you to forget that any of it even happened and our my my government I was going to say our government but you're you're from Canada as we like to um yeah. say <laughs> well that's what the uh, Canadians say on my show they even call it Canada so Canada love Canadia. that we we love the Canadians here by the way they are fantastic they've always been uh, supporters of the program uh, much love and respect to them. But um, what I wanted to quickly ask you here was, you know, with all the recent developments and increased government transparency on the UFOs or UAPs, what are your thoughts on the significance of these disclosures? I think it's unbelievable. I, Isn't it I wild? It's, it's, it's extremely wild. The first thing I go is, okay, we have all these government officials and these stories or we have all these government officials that are backing all of these claims, right? We haven't seen the paperwork yet, let's be honest. And that's what I would like to see. And right. we kind of need that to make sure that we can 100% put a stamp and say this is official. But then I also look at the past of UFO history from the Condon Report, you know, looking at suggesting to do disinformation campaigns and what those would look like, uh, along with we look at um, other press conferences. We look at Donald Kehoe that was censored in the Armstrong Circle Theater in the past. So we see, and we also look at the Mirage Men, that movie that's come out in book. Right, with Richard Doty. Happened. Richard Doty, exactly. I was just going to say the stuff with Richard Doty and him acting alone, uh, or is it potentially with the CIA? Yeah. So we've seen disinformation is embedded within the history of this so the question is what disinformation may be attached to that and what isn't right because richard doty did say that i believe it was like 10 percent true and the other like 90 percent, or maybe it was maybe it was you know give or take the percentages but some of it was real and some of it wasn't wasn't what he told but yeah. we don't know what was real so that's i think we might have that here to a degree and i think it would be ignorant to think that we don't to be honest, but I think you need to be open-minded to right. wait and see and then break it apart together. But I'm open-minded to his claims and I'm open-minded obviously to all the intelligence officials that have come forward and backed him because I think that's unbelievable. And that's very different than anybody else that we've seen. 
And that's something that's different than we've seen in history, I, from what I know and what I know about UFO history. So, yeah, but then I, I look at then the cultural perspective of this. And this is something as a podcaster side and also somebody, you know, who really cares about, you know, humanity to a degree, for sure. I look at wonder about the ontological effect for people um, and how is this going to affect them individually? You know, when we release that story, my first thing I thought is I hope Debbie down the road is going to be OK with this. And I'm serious when I say that because it, it really does concern me because people from all different degrees, especially if you're in the UFO topic, your paradigm shift has already kind of been shifting around right, you. Right, true. There's people that haven't gone through this at all and what they believe and what they know in the world and what they surround themselves in is so important and so crucial to who they are and their self-image. And to me, it, you don't want to shatter somebody's life, Right. You know, ignorance is bliss to a degree. I would rather know myself, but sometimes people don't. And you don't want to shatter something for them. And I and that's not the goal. Our goal, obviously, in journalism and any, anything else is to, to tell the facts and to find the truth, right? Right. But I do have concerns personally. And now this is not so much connected to the debrief outside my own personal concerns, but how It'll the individuals... Affect, yeah. Okay. And how people are going to be affected by this and how does it change their lives and everything that they believe in. And also the question, I kind of question stuff when I wake up every day now and, and go, you know, is this really what the, if this is really what this is, then why do I go to work every day? <laughs> and why am I not sitting on a beach? And have I been lied to my entire life? And that's really sad. And is really that your scary. fear that, you know, you wake up and find out that we were, you know, created by some alien race somewhere. Would that really change your life to well, a certain degree? Yeah, I think some people, I've asked this question, you know, this whole topic, and some people are like, no, I just kind of live with it and go on with my, my life. You know, I would, I don't know if it would change my life, but it would change the way that I, I do things. View the world, I, yeah. Right, and how I act within my own space in the world. And I think about, well, why shouldn't I just be doing that now? So now I kind of just, yeah. and I've really done that my entire life, but now I'm just putting that into more praxis than I've ever done. Because I realize that I'm like, I get to design this world then. If this is a world that they've created, then I get to design and create my world within it. And I get to make my choices. And some of the things I have to be very mindful of what people are telling me to be lies or not. Right. And I think we all know that to a degree. And for sure, people listening to this podcast are probably like, well, we kind of already do that. But a lot of people don't. Um, and I think that those are the people that we have to be mindful of. And there is going to have to be mechanisms of like, you know, mental health support for certain people as we go probably. down this road of disclosure. Yeah, probably. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We'll need support systems. We'll need places where people can ask questions and get answers. And that might not be until I'm like 80, let's be honest, or, or a lot older, but that will have to happen because going through those cultural shifts, you can't go through it alone. We'd have to go through together through society or through societies, I would say. And Chrissy, are you religious? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm spiritual. I would say that. No one's ever asked me that. That's so funny. You're the first person to ask me that. I'm I'm a spiritual person. I, I'm not saying that I would never say I'm not religious, but I am a spiritual person. That's usually what I, I believe in. I look at all different religions, and I think they all have a place. Um, but I look at spirituality. And you would uh, say this to you, and, and you would say this, Chrissy, to your grandmother if she was here. Oh, yeah. I would say that for sure to my, it was kind to of my a, family. It's kind of a joke, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, 100%. Are you religious? 
<laughs> uh, you know, I, I would consider myself um, agnostic. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't really have an explanation um, whether or not we have a god or a creator. I'm not exactly sure yet. I'm a little yeah. bit on the fence. Well, it's funny because spirituality doesn't mean it's religion. Right? True, you yeah. Religious you don't really have to believe that, yes. Right. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on for sure. And, and the degree of UFOs or in the context of religion or spirituality, but I believe there's something bigger than myself. I do believe that there's something going on with the phenomenon. And that's why I podcast about it because Same I truly here. believe there's, yeah. right, there's something happening, but it doesn't mean that spirituality or religion or whatever you want to, you want to call it isn't connected with it or, you know, have something to do with it. Um, you know, I do believe that everything is interconnected. We, we see that environmentally. We see that we see it like, gosh, look at the mycelia network. Like it's, it's all connected. Right. Right. We look at the cosmos, things are connected. We look at the big bang theory. It's all connected. You know, if you believe in, if you follow string theory, then it's all, you would understand. Right. Exactly. So I look at that, um, and I will always be open-minded towards it, but, and then I, you know, I'm open to changing my opinions and my ideas as I learn more because I think that's what we're supposed to do is yeah. As humans. Yeah, of course. And with all the footage that's been released, do you believe they uh, this footage that that you know we've been seeing on TV for the past several years? Do you believe that indicates the presence of extraterrestrial intelligence, or do you believe maybe that's uh, just one of our secret planes we've got under development? I like to follow the interdimensional theory. You know, I like them all. I love even the concept that this is a simulation too. I always find that interesting. It's like that's always 50, fun. 50. Yeah, it's 50-50 if it's not. But yeah, I follow interdimensional because I find to me, if I had to lend towards closer to one theory, I don't really pick any of them because I think they're all really great in its own way. Um, but I lend towards interdimensional. We don't really understand, you know, we have different dimensions and we have, you know, space time, but we don't really understand space time to the degree that we possibly could. And we still don't even understand the dimensions that we have here too. So I think that's where we start and then we grow. Um, and as physics evolves and everything else, we'll learn more too. So yeah, I think I, I lend towards that. And I honestly don't even know if we have the ability or the capacity to understand it or see it yet. Right. I think we're limited we in how we were created in this world. I believe our knowledge is capped off. Yeah, I think so too. We're not meant to um, mean- fully understand is my what is what I'm getting towards here. Yeah. and And should we? You know, I, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Or, you know, do we move on to, to other dimensions that we get to learn more? Like I have, I have no idea, but the best part about living, I guess, in this reality is we get to explore that and we get to be curious about it and we get to have, if you look at it in a positive way, we get to have fun with it um, and learn more about ourselves or who we are as individuals and who people are as people. And what does that mean to us? And what does that mean to humanity? And I think that if we look at it and we can play together in the same sandbox, then it can be a lot more fun than, you know, fighting each other. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we already talked about the impact of what alien life might have on society and culture and how it would, you know, influence certain belief systems, popular media, or even government policies. And whether or not what footage we've been exposed to is you know ours or from somewhere else the fact that we have this sort of technology is extraordinary and it sort of it just sort of um makes you scratch your head and wonder how they even how they even got this sort of material 
Oh yeah, it's true. It's the technology that we have now, obviously compared to the past or the technology that they have. For example, I believe it was Dr. Travis Taylor and then I believe um, lawyer Danielle Sheehan did a, a Daily Mail piece on this and talked about finding some form of a craft. Right, yes. And then when they, right, and then they dug it up and they went into it. And it was like, isn't it called the tortoise? What is it called from Doctor Who? Yeah, I believe you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they went into it and the thing was massive. It was like football fields and it was huge. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, but isn't that the, that's the, obviously a, a context of like, how how we how dimensions i would i would think and how i see it again mm. that's not my forte but i would that's how what i would think but then apparently when they turn this thing on like it all the stuff like all the parts like went back to its correct place so it and then it was the thing was massive from what i remember reading and what i've heard as well but that to me blows my mind and again i'm like why do i work if, <laughs> if yeah. that's the case you know i'm like god i don't even need to live I can live in a shoebox and walk into the shoebox and it's the size of, you know, it's like a, it's like, you know, size it's of like a little a, city. It's like, like a man. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's the concept of what reality is and the concept of, of what we, it, it just, it blows my mind. And if that is true, that's unbelievable. And I hope I'm alive that when we can Me understand too. that, yeah. because I would, I would love to see that. Like I'd love to experience that. Um, and I, I hope, you know, I don't, I don't think we, I will be, but if we ever do, you know, and I'm 80 or 90, like I, I'll, I'll be the first person to like, you know, volunteer to step into one of those things. <laughs> I'd love to see it, um, and experience it, but it's unbelievable. Like that technology, like it's, it's dumbfounding. It really is. And it just further makes us ponder even more about what, what else they're keeping a secret from us. And I got to ask you, do you actually like the term UAP? I do. I don't mind it. I like when lexicons change. I'm kind of old honest. school, though. I like the UFO thing for some odd reason. Well, the reason why I think they took UFO away because of the stigma, too. Yeah, the stigma. Was, and Stephen right? Bassett wanted to, like, beat me up over it, by the way. Oh, really? He got really uh, fired up here. He was why? like, well, let me tell you, Michael, why it's UAP. Millennials. And then he went on his little rant there. It was pretty funny. Oh, no. I just let him go off. You know, I, I like Stephen Bassett. I've been, uh, we've been um, doing interviews together since like 2017. I, I like him a lot, but yeah, he was so fired up. And I'm, I'm excited for him, though, because, you know, he's getting a little bit older in age and, you know, he's been at this since like the 90s. So, oh, you know, man. I have a lot he's of respect for the guy. And, you know, he gets really rowdy, <laughs> especially off air. I, I, I love the guy. He's great. Yeah. He's dedicated his entire life to yeah, this topic. Yeah. So. And that that's true activism for sure. That's true, true activism. You know, I I like UFO too, and I like UAP. I, I like I don't really mind interchangeably. But, yeah, but I I use UAP now all the time just because it's it's obviously way more well versed, especially within media. It's more current. But I say yeah. UFO. It's more current. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. When I even say UAP, most people are like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> UFO." But here's the other thing that's, I don't really care people who are skeptical or not that don't like UFOs or just kind of like, oh, this is still crap, bull crap, and yada, yada, yada. You know, I kind of laugh at it, but I use the word UAP on my social media mm -hmm. because a lot of people still don't know what it means. Oh, so wow. I find it interesting. Well, for me, I, find, I do it because I don't use UFO because the stigma is attached to UFO. So when I use UAP, you either know what it means or you don't. And I like that, uh -huh. to be honest. I see. I think that... 
Well, yeah, because if someone's looking at my, like my, you know, my social channels to see if they're interested in following my work or not, I want them to follow everything from science and technology because I do a, a vast of different things, right? And I talk about culture as well on, on a podcast I have with a friend called Alt Pop Repeat, you know, so I want people to see the different things I do, the spectrum of stuff I do. And so if they're turned off just by the word UFO and they run away, do I really want them? Probably not. Probably not, listener. Yeah. Right. But I would still like them to be able to be interested if they're like, oh, I don't know what UAP is, but I like science and technology. The hope is, is that people that are that are not interested in UFOs and watching my stuff about NASA or talking people from NASA, and then they watch a UFO show and they're like, whoa, this is what not I ever expected. And then vice versa. I want people in the UFO space to learn more about science and technology. So that's why I bridge those worlds together because I think we can learn something from each of us. And I don't think that UFO is paranormal anymore or fringe. I think it sits in the world of science and technology. So, and futurism, that's why I put it in there. But I think that there's space and that's why I do it. Um, because I think that I want people to come for all different channels at, at some point, I hope. So you would never use the term flying saucer. Oh, I love flying saucer. I, I love Very it. No, I, would, I, would, I know I would, I'll, I'll use it. I would never not, not use it, but I love the term flying saucer. Me too. I, I it just something, yeah. yeah, there's something noble and classy about saying flying saucer. I don't know why. Yeah. I love the Kenneth Arnold story too. And I just love the, I love the whole fifties artwork around Me it. Me too. I like the yeah. Pulp magazines images that pulp magazines were actually the first images ever in pop culture to show a flying saucer. And this is way before Kenneth Arnold. There were science fiction magazines that came out and people would buy them and they would read them and they would tell stories. But they had, I think it was, I forget his name. Um, I forget Frank, I forget his last name now, but he was an illustrator and he drew the first concept of the UFO before oh. Kenneth Arnold's, yeah, said anything. So pulp magazines really did it first. And I find that whole lineage of like flying saucers and culture feedback loops and how we identify UFOs and how they've evolved with us over time and the way that they look and how, what we call them and how we personalize them. Like, I think that's really interesting. Because I think it it talks about who we are as as humans and humanity. It says just UFOs say just as much as we don't know what's going on, but it says tons about who we are. And I think we have to sometimes reverse it and look back and be like, oh, that's really a, a projection and a reflection of us. Right, and you know the only thing that really bothers me is the whole government sort of aspect to it. You know, the whole CIA and their involvement with UFOs, and it's been that way since the beginning. And it just makes me wonder, are they really going to be uh, transparent with us? And so far, they really haven't. I don't think we'll ever really have The smoking disclosure. gun. Yeah. Yeah. And I call disclosure as like an ongoing thing. And Steve Bassett or other people might not agree with me. But how I see disclosure is that- Yeah, he'd fight you right now, by out, the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're like, Chris, hey. That's but right. How I see, right. But how I see disclosure is that- you know, it's it's not that we won't get it, but I think we're the slow trickle will happen. And I yeah. think that we'll always have forms of disclosure, like we're living in parts of disclosure now. But I think no matter what, we're always going to ask for more because they're probably going to always potentially, potentially know more than we do. And I hope they don't. But that might be the case. And if it is, then they're just always going to be slowly releasing it. And we're always going to be living in a state of disclosure. 
So at some point, I think we have to come to terms of like, maybe it's the form of disclosure doesn't exist, but what we're looking for is truth and transparency and advocating that for the rest of our lives, because we're always going to have to do that. And throughout anything that governments do around the world, not even just through North America, like there's so many other, you know, say potentially could be worse governments or coming of worse governments or dictatorships in the future that we need to be mindful that might know this technology too or or know more about this so i think it forever will be but it's a global conversation and a lot of us know that and we have to consistently work together as a group of people um, from journalists to media to scientists to be able to ask for transparency look for it and demand it consistently um, and consistently doing journalism but we'll hopefully live in a generation i hope that the next generation will be more curious and they will be able to ask more questions right. and be able to have more money focusing on this topic than we have yeah, we got to keep pushing this topic and this movement further and of course um what are your thoughts on the whole abduction phenomenon i'm not sure if anyone's ever really talked to you much about that but i remember back in like 1991 it was Bud Hopkins and Professor David Jacobs and John Mack who conducted a poll of over, I think it was like 5,800 uh, individuals in the United States aged 18 and above. And the results were pretty astonishing, suggesting that a significant percentage of the population may have experienced an abduction. Yeah. it's. I've actually worked with Randall Nickerson. I did the PR for, for Aerial Phenomenon. Uh, and he knows John Mack. Um, you know, I, I have Ralph Blumenthal's book, uh, The Believer, uh, you know, about different stories and obviously about John Mack as well. And so I find that that's the experiencer stuff really interesting. I don't talk about it so much in my podcast space yet because we're not there yet. I was going to say, I, I don't think I've no. heard you talk about it too much yet. No, uh, I did. Well, I did a little bit. If you listen to my Randall Nickerson aerial phenomenon, I talk about Randall um, and his experiences throughout his life. And I'll, I'll leave that part of that because uh, that's it is his story. Right, uh, right. And one day he'll hopefully tell it in a larger format. Uh, and I'll leave him to do that. But I do talk about it. And I actually talk about um, experiences to a degree of like contact. But we do do talk about uh, experiences. And that's the one show that I do with him. Um, I will be going down that road at some okay. point in time. Nice. But what I want to do when I get down there is I want to have the proper academics with me that I can do it with and hopefully have access to to talk about that. Because I do think it's really important. Like as a humanitarian topic, we need to care. And I think that people need to be able to give empathy and um, comfort to people that have experienced stuff like this. Because like, to be honest, going through any form of PTSD and nobody can relate to you, mm, to your experience. And there's right. just a small core group. Like I can't even imagine like it's so horrible to, and it being negative and no one believing you. And I know I just, uh, yeah, like it's, it's, it's terrible. Horrible. Well, it's like anything that happens to somebody that's really negative and you go to tell somebody and they laugh at you and don't believe you. Yeah. They shun like, you. Come, yeah. Oh, it's like, it's that's one of the worst things you could do to anybody is tell them that you don't believe them when something's bad's happened to them. So my heart goes out for those people a hundred percent and anyone's who's had positive or negative experiences that people just just discard them. So I think there for sure is something there. I'm just hoping we get to the point where science is able to explain that, you know, maybe some of this is in the brain and then also some of this is a phenomenon that's actually happening and people are experiencing this. And it's scary 
in the government, and, I, and I've said this before in other podcasts, if that's the case, then this is the next step. We'll, we'll get through forms of disclosure, contactees, or anybody that's had abduction experiences, that's going to happen. It might be for another 10 to 20 years, 30 years, who knows, but the government will have to face that because that will be the next road to go down. You know, there's multiple countercultures and we live in a counterculture that I, I, some people would call ufology as a subculture. I call it a counterculture because it's a movement. That's what countercultures are. But there is a subculture, obviously, in counterculture, and that's part of the abduction experience. And so we're kind of starting at the beginning of explaining what, hopefully, what the phenomenon is. That's the next road to go down. And Love that, I will, yeah. and I will go down that road at some point in time. But I just want to be able to do it in a place that works well with journalism. And also I can, um, I can tell that story freely and not have other journalists go down my throat as well. And (laughs) I'm not saying I'm scared of it. I don't care if some journalists don't like what I'm doing or not. Um, but I want to do it the best way possible. Um, and I would like to have the right people with me that I can answer. I can ask questions to if it's an experiencer on a panel and someone that's a high academic. If John Mack was here, I would a hundred percent put him on a podcast in a matter of uh, in a matter of a moment, like I would, if, if with the debrief said no, I would say no. I'm doing it. The man's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> so right. So when we find more people like John Mack, and they're coming, I'd imagine, then I will reach out. One of my next shows I'm thinking about doing though is finding one of the top psychologists or a psychologist uh-huh. that has nothing to do with the UFO world and breaking down the concept of PTSD and CPSD. So CPSD is just a longer form of post traumatic stress, and it's you've dealt with it for years rather than maybe just an experience per se. And PTSD can happen anytime. So I want to break that down in conjunction with the UFO topic, but then talk about how how this how this change in paradigm shift affects people, but do it through a clinical conversation. So people can have an understanding of this through an academic sense rather than people um, you know, out that and also an outside perspective from the UFO topic as well. Right. I don't want a therapist that does regression or (laughs) anything like that because they already have the concept of a used lightly believer. They're tainted, in other words. Yeah. Right. Well, and they understand ufology and and the history of it. I don't want anybody who understands anything about UFO history. I want them to look at this and be open minded and be able to talk about this and agree and disagree at things. But um, and if anything, I'd probably be more of the believer on the out of the two of us. Right. Well, just remember this though. Just remember this. If you bring in um, like a psychologist or maybe like a doctor of sorts, just outside of this, they'll probably, they'll probably sum up the whole phenomenon as something related to sleep paralysis. Yeah. Or lucid dreaming. Correct. I did a show. Yeah. I did a show uh, with Ralph Blumenthal on this actually is a lucid dreaming. And we got, I played more skeptic and he obviously, cause I, you know, you, you try to go play both sides. Right. Um, so you can get a fair, a fair balance conversation. Correct. Right. Um, so I asked him that, and obviously Ralph is very much has done so much research in this, but we, we talk about it in depth and we talk about John Mack, but I want somebody who's open-minded to say like, is open-minded that it could possibly be anything right. Rather than being like, well, I'm definitely just going to say it's lucid dreaming. Well, I'm like, well, that's not the conversation I want to have. I want to talk about the cause and effects too. If like you experience something like this, what is, what is bound to happen to you? What's that breakdown? What is like your, you know, you experience uh, an abduction or you experience an encounter. What are like, what is, how does your brain react? And then like, how do we break down those moments? Do you go in through like fight or flight? 
And then you go in through like, you know, being not believing that anything ever happened to you and just like pushing it out of your mind and then getting to a fact of um, accepting it down the road. Like, how long does that take? What does that look like? And how what are people experiencing when they go through that? And how can you help them? I think that's part of it. And or how can you understand or put empathy or relate to them, even though you haven't had that experience? But I want to know what the brain is doing when it happens for those people, because it's easier for us to understand and, and be able to communicate with each other when we have a degree of understanding what somebody's going through. So that's that's kind of the goal. But I haven't found that person yet. But I hope eventually I'll keep my yeah, yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Hopefully you could find that hidden gem. And I'm, you know, I'm a full believer, to be honest, I, I won't lie to you. You know, I believe these things have been here since the dawn of time. You know, every culture has recorded their existence. For sure. Cultures that have yeah. nothing to do with each other have recorded the same phenomenon since the dawn of time. And um, for a lot of people, that's hard to understand and hard to grasp. But I mean, if you go back and look at all these ancient structures and these cultures from way back when they all record this strange phenomenon and furthermore you know i always say how could you know semi-savages in the fertile crescent suddenly give life to a culture as advanced as that of the sumerians with astronomy and mathematics and written language i love the sumerian stories i, I love, I love it too and there's some that uh, are way even older than the sumerians and so it, yeah. it goes even back further and it just makes you, again, just scratch your head and think, what the hell? Oh, I think it's unbelievable. And there's a lot more stories that we don't know. So I, I love anything to do with like Mesopotamia. Like I'm, I was obsessed with it for, yeah. for years. It's awesome. Point. I still am. Yeah. And, and I, and I've always wanted, I actually want to go at some point. Same here. Yeah. See, yeah. I, I will, I will go to Egypt and then I'll. You know, but Mesopotamia, the area within Mesopotamia uh, or Babylon, I, I would love to um, I would love to see. But the other part I was going to say, too, now is, oh, the other stories, too, is being mindful that I think and we see this is like who's telling that story. Right. And that's sometimes now more than ever. You know, and people are like, is this a woke comment? But <laughs> it's it's, you know, geez, uh, it's not. It's just more about like, I just want to be aware of yeah. like. Who's telling the story? Where is the story coming from? Um, and who is it doing it justice? And whose stories are not being told? So I think it's important. We've told a lot of like um, the Mesopotamian stories and, and, and whatnot that we know throughout their, their beliefs. But then we need to know what these other stories are as well that haven't been championed as much. And there's lots of them. Like I found out through Randall Nickerson within um, Zimbabwe like there's tons of those stories ingrained oh, yes. into their folklore. Yeah. That's what I and talked I to didn't know. Um, with Clyde Pardon? Lewis, by the way. Um, I, right. I mentioned the, the uh, September 16th, uh, 1994 contact with more than 60 school children between the ages of five and 12 who claim to have witnessed a strange object and, uh, and beans in the schoolyard during a morning recess. Um, hopefully you can uh, maybe talk about that. Yeah, so in Zimbabwe, well, Randall Nickerson does Aero Phenomenon, so I would 100% tell people to go check that out. But yeah, it's it's more than actually, yeah, it's about 100 or, or plus. And it's both, uh, first of all, it's children, but there are teachers and other people that yes. did see it from talking to Randall. It's just more than just children. But uh, during school year, yeah, a UFO ended up landing. They ended up seeing it, seeing it, a couple people did, in the distance. It ended up landing in the back of the schoolyard. And a group of kids ended up running towards it. 
ended up seeing beings getting out of it. And they weren't sure if it was like one or two or multiple because they were moving in a form of like slow motion. And sometimes they would disappear and then reappear. So they weren't human. And they said that they were wearing like black kind of body suits, which is unbelievable um, and had big eyes. And what we would say is a normal kind of like E.T., you know, gray alien kind of look, but with a black body suit. And I don't think there was a smell from what they said, because usually with contactees, you hear like, you know, of a smell of sulfur, A foul odor, yeah. Right. And so there was no smell, but instead uh, there was buzzing. And so some people said it was just like a high pitched, like swarm of bees that they would hear. And some people thought it was like a flute sound. So it was really interesting of, of the distinction of sounds that they heard. But it was really, really high pitch, and some kids were really scared. Some of them weren't. Some were really intrigued and wanted to get closer. And then a couple of them said they were telepathically told stories of, you know, be environmentally conscious, and this is what can happen, and don't be too technological, as one of the girls says, um, and that we don't want to advance in technology because it won't be good for us. So they're sending all of these, like, images and messages to these kids subliminally. And yeah, and then I forget, I I can't remember if they said that they saw it get back in and it took off. I can't remember what Randall said, but for the longest period of time, you know, BBC then, sorry, came in and interviewed all these children. John Mack then ended up going to Zimbabwe. John and Cynthia went out there, yes. Correct. Yeah, Cynthia Haynes. It was the UFO um, ufologist for, I think, majority of Africa, actually, at that point in time, but for sure in Zimbabwe. And yeah, John Mack decided to come out and interview these kids and, and lots of media did as well. And they drew right, a whole right. bunch of pictures. Yeah. And, and you were to just, this day, you were yeah. just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you were just saying, you know, you were, we were talking about the psych- psychological impact of all of this really with other stuff. And many of the children experienced emotional distress and psychological trauma following the incident. You know, some of them even have had to undergo counseling to cope with the aftermath. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Emily is one of them. She actually lives in Toronto, I believe still now. She oh, one of the kids, Toronto. right? Yeah, one of the kids. And, and she's the, the lead character, I'll say, or lead woman in the movie, that the documentary that Randall has. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up expressing her feelings through art. And I would love an art piece. I've been meaning to like see if I could buy one to buy one from her. Because the art is so, you can tell it's coming from her heart in an experience it's and it's really dark and some of it's a little bit lighter too but nobody believed her and it's i don't know if it was for for sure the experience scared a lot of the kids oh, but I it's the you. after effect of not being believed that made it worse for them and they couldn't talk about it and nobody their parents wouldn't talk to them about it a lot of these kids had issues after the fact because of that not being able to express their experience and not being believed it happens and that is Right. And that's what causes the trauma. I don't know per se if the experience was traumatic. It, yes, it probably was to a degree, but I think it's just, just as comparable of not being believed and told to be quiet is just as traumatic as the experience. And sometimes it can be worse because you're not able to, to get through it. Yeah. You can't um, even, uh, you can't, your mind can't even sort of give you a proper answer as to what you just saw. And furthermore, I mean, my parents saw something a couple years back fly over their house and they described what looked like a transparent sort of octopus flying through the sky, basically, yeah. in terms of like uh, how it looked. It was like a transparent sort of um, craft, really. And it scared my mom so much. You know, she doesn't talk about it 
she even got sort of like semi-religious again over the whole thing. And, you know, anytime my dad brings it up, she just shuts down. Wow. Yeah. So it scared the hell out of her. Oh, yeah. Well, again, you question. You're like, am I I seeing what I'm seeing? And what does this mean? You know, it's, yeah. And it it 100% can be scary if you're... Especially if you don't really, if you don't know anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you don't know a single thing and you look out your door and you see something, you're like, what is that? First question is, you're like, am I losing my mind? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or or did anybody else see this? And do I tell anybody this? And if I do, will they believe me? And, um, and now I have to, you know, question that moment the rest of my life. You, I think people always go back and look at those moments consistently. And then you try to analyze them, break them down. But then at that point in time, your memory does trick you. So everything that you kind of remembered is not exactly where it was in place. And that's the unfortunate thing about our memory. Sometimes we can put in false memories as well. True. So it's, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, the part of being human, I guess. Right. But there's still the core underlying experience that's there. And, and if you have other people with you, and that's why it's always great to have mass sightings, because at least oh, yeah. then together you can talk about it in exchange consistently over years and time, over the years, if you're, if you're still in contact, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I am looking at the time here, and I, I apologize. I feel like I kept you here a little too long. But No, it's okay. It's okay, great. awesome. Well, you know, I really do appreciate the time you've spent here with us. And before I cut you loose here, I was just going to ask you, is there any future projects in the works right now? Any any news articles that you're working on right now that um, will be released shortly? I am looking to do a, a Canadian wrap up okay. for all the Canadians listening out there from our from the perspective of the debrief. Uh, so I, I will look to do that. If you don't follow in your Canadian or anybody, they should follow Daniel Otis's work. He does a lot of national work for CTV. He's just unbelievable. So I'll be taking some of Daniel Otis and getting some original uh, quotes from other people. So that's something I'm going to look at as an editorial piece. But uh, I have um, Mick West out of all the people coming on my podcast next week, but it won't be aired for another two weeks or so. But Mick West and I are going to do... Why is that, by the a, way? What, why head-to-head? Why, why, why wait two weeks? What happened? Oh, I have another show coming out. So my show releases every two weeks. Oh, so okay, okay. I, I record with him next week, and then I'll release it that following I was week. like, what, what's with the delay here, yeah, Chrissy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I'm curious. I, I actually, you know, Mick's, Mick's, Mick's a really nice person to talk to. Um, I don't always agree with everything that he says. He's obviously a skeptic in the space. But he'll be the first, like, real skeptic that I've mm. ever had on the show uh, about UFOs. So I'm curious to see how we'll, because, again, I'm, if we use the word believer, I'm more on that side than for sure he is. So I'm curious to see what we're talking about. And also... The David Grush stuff is going to be really interesting and hopefully maybe more stuff comes out. Not that I know of, but right now if new stuff comes out or new rele- uh, new stories or new things to add to that, then we'll get to discuss it as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Very nice. Very nice. If you need a skeptic, I could always call Michael Shermer and send them your way. I think he's very angry with me though. Oh, really? Yeah. What happened? Well, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, they message him and they go after him and they sometimes include my name which is a, a, a no-no, but there's one in, uh, one individual by the name of Michael Horn, who's the media representative of the Billy Meyer contact yep. cases. And he's been going after Shermer, telling him he wants to debate him on my show. And it's been going on for years. And um, Michael emailed me one day. You know, he's been on my show a few times. He emailed me and he goes, is this your doing, Michael? Did you do this? Oh, Are you? Wow. Yeah, he's blaming me for it. I'm like, oh, I'm wow. like, listen, guy. 
<laughs> that's not me. I don't send people to do anything like that. You know, that's your fight. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And why would you? You're like, I have other things to do. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I have other things to worry about. I'm not worried about Michael Horn or you, Mr. Shermer. But um, I, I guess that's <laughs> that's um, I get blamed for that. So I get blamed uh, for a lot of things, Chrissy, but uh, it comes with um, the territory. I trust me, I start to see it on my end too. I love how people on mine are like, Chrissy's trying to make this political. And I'm like, Oof. isn't it already kind of political? But I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I just sometimes ask the question. It's on not the you're other doing side. though. I mean, that's not you. Well, it's not. Um, I ask the question if, you know, if it's going to be political and, and, and whatnot. Like when I talked to, um, Tim Burchette recently, we did an interview together and I was, a, a, you know, I don't believe in his, I don't follow his political stance personally, sure. but it doesn't mean I'm not open to have a UFO yeah. conversation because my show is not about politics in that mm -hmm. space or, or, you know, gun reform or anything to that degree. It's about UFO science and technology. So I'm going to stay in my lane, uh, even though I'd have loved to have had a, a larger conversation, but I, I stayed in my lane for a good reason. I like that but, you said a boot. That was very Canadian. A boot, did I? <laughs> Love that. See, I don't even realize that I... <laughs> No, don't, don't change. Don't change, Chrissy. Stay Canadian. I, I, I will. <laughs> the, no, one, no one's gonna. No one's gonna take those Canadianisms out of me. Oh, I love um, that. But yeah, I, and it's funny because people in you know in certain comments, you know, they say don't read the comments, but sometimes they do. Oof. And yeah, and they're like trying to take it political, and I'm like, actually, if you listen to the show, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not. I'm actually more concerned that it's going to come mm. political. I like it to stay bipartisan, but at this point in time, you know. We know what politics does, and it right. actually kind of has become political, not to the degree that it's like a, a left or right kind of thing or, you know, or Republican or Democrat. Like, it's it's none of that, per se, um, in a larger scope right now. But, you know, I hopefully that's that doesn't happen and it stays even keel. But that is my fear as well. And I think the only people that will do that is, is actually the media is going to make it more political. That's what happens. It's gonna be the Right. I don't know if it's going to be the politicians. It will be the media. And right now the media is kind of doing it. We see, I talked about this on a, on a recent podcast. We see that, you know, NBC and CNN won't pick up the David uh, Grush story, but they will pick up a story about UFOs uh, and green UFOs or, or, what, or meteors potentially, or one or the other, and aliens in backyards in Vegas, but they won't talk about claims, um, amazing claims, and stuff that was vetted uh, so well done, vetted so well, uh, they will not even talk about it, but Fox News will talk about it. And because Fox News talks about it, they won't. And to me, there's a real issue with that. They'll right. pick up another UFO story. Um, and that needs to be cleared up. And hopefully politicians don't attach themselves to those alignments. And that's when we'll see it get political. And you mentioned it, not me, but tell me what your thoughts and opinions are on the whole Vegas uh, debacle quickly here. Well, I only know so much about it because I kind of followed it. And then I'm like, uh, I mean, you know, it's... I did hear that though, from allegedly they that video didn't happen the exact same time mm. where like they saw that green, you know, it was, it's a meteor. NASA came out, I believe, and said that it was a meteor or around the same point in time it was. But then I was told, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I was told that that didn't happen at the same time. Those those kids released it uh, exactly when the David Grush stuff was going out and when that meteor hit or when people saw that so that they could, you know, Use yeah, there's a lot of conflicting stories going on. I don't on. know if that's actually true. Yeah. I've never talked to them. I, did, I watched it and I found it interesting. And uh, a filmmaker friend of mine zoomed in on it, but it's mm. just so blurry and the footage isn't that You good. can't tell? But yeah. It, you know, if, if that's the stuff that's going on, again, why do I go to work? 
(laughs) (laughs) Right, right. They walk among us. I'm, I'm going to the beach. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not working again. I'll consistently podcast and still talk about UFOs. And that's all I'm going to do. And I'm going to live in a little hut on the beach. And that's it. I'm like, I'm not going to work so hard and live in this rat, (laughs) you know, rat race of a cycle. I'll just consistently talk about UFOs because I love it. And it's part of my passion. Amazing. Well, once again, Chrissy, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. Always a honor and pleasure to uh, sit down here with you and do this. And uh, you have your show at the debrief.org. Rebelliously Curious. Yes. Rebelliously Curious with Chrissy Newton. There you go. And they can listen to, if anyone's interested and they're like, I liked this podcast, you can listen to, uh, to me on all streaming platforms as well. It's an audio version too, along with being on YouTube. Very nice. Once again, I will talk to you again on the other side, Chrissy. That sounds good. Take care. You too. And there she goes, boys and girls. That was Chrissy Newton. And of course, go check out her podcast, Rebelliously Curious. You can check that out over at the debrief.org. Much respect to her. Before I conclude with tonight's broadcast, I want to be honest with all of you. I would like to address a common question I receive regarding the schedule of the show. Many people often ask me, what time is the show airing? Now, to stay updated on all things related to the show, I recommend visiting michaeldeacon.com and signing up for the newsletter. That is the best method to ensure you receive timely information and stay informed about the program. Oh yes, many of you always ask me, when's the show going to be on? What time is this going to be on? Who's going to be this? Who's going to be that? Just go to michaeldeacon.com and sign up for that newsletter. And if you want bonus material, please go to patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon. Ah yes, that is where gold falls from the sky. If you are not a member of the Patreon series, I recommend you do so if you love this program and want to help us move forward. Sign up to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon and you won't regret it, I'm telling you. We have plenty of shows there, lots of shows that have never made it to YouTube or on the podcast rendition of this program. Now, as I crawl along here, much love and respect to all of you out there for listening to this all the way through. I will return shortly. Until then, take care of yourselves. We don't know how long we have here on this island Earth. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night. <laughs>